Shvi'is Perik Hamish and Aleph. Benoi Shuach, Shvi'is Shelohen Shnia. Fruit that emerges on a tree during Shemitah has Kedusha Shvi'is, even if it doesn't ripen until after Shemitah. The Mishnah is going to discuss two examples of such fruit. Fruit that emerges on a tree is the stage known as Chanata, when the petals of the flower fall off. Produce that has Kedusha Shvi'is is subject to a number of restrictions. It must be eaten or consumed in a food-like way, and not be disposed of or used for business purposes. It may not be guarded by the owner of the field in which it grew. Rather, he must let it be taken by anyone. He has to be mafkar it. In addition, most meat of produce requires beer, as we explained a few times already throughout the Masechta. So benoi shuach are white figs. Some maintain that benoi shuach are a species of pine with edible cones that was commonly called the white fig tree. So they have their shemitah in the second year of the seven-year cycle. That is to say, benoi shuach that ripen in the second year after shemitah have the status of shemitah produce. Shehin oisois l'shaleshanim. This is because they grow over three years. Unlike most other fruits, which ripen the year that they emerge, benoi shuach take three years to ripen. Therefore, those that ripen in the second year after shemitah must have emerged during shemitah and are thus subject to hilchis shviyas. On the other hand, benoi shuach that ripen during shemitah do not have shemitah kedusha shviyas because they must have emerged before Shemitah, which is very interesting comparing it to other types of figs, because we know <clears throat> that slav is a is a kind of fruit that grows very quickly, and uh, it's a type of fig tree. So over here, I guess this is a kind of fig that grows very slowly, and we see a big nafkam in la'alocha. Rabbi Huda says, Parsois, this too is a species of figs. Other Mavarjim suggests that it may be a kind of date, that Parsois have their Shemitah in the year after the seventh year. That is, Parsois that ripen the year after Shemitah have the status of Shemitah produce, Shein Oisis Lishteishan, because they grow over two years. Since these fruits take two years to grow, those that ripen in the year following Shemitah must have emerged during Shemitah, and therefore have Kedusha Shviyas. Omer Loi, the Chacham, argued with Rabbi Yehuda, and they said, Loi Omer El Shuach. It was not stated that a crop that ripens after Shemitah has the status of Shemitah produce, except in regard to white figs. Only in the case of white figs was it taught that fruit ripening after Shemitah is subject to Hilcha Shviyas. Regarding all other fruits, including Parsois, that which ripens during Shemitah has the Kedusha Shviyas, and that which ripens after Shemitah does not. In contrast to Yehuda, who holds that most Parsois ripen in the year after they emerge, the Chacham maintain that most Parsois ripen that same year. Mishnah base Hatoymin es Haluf Bashviyas. The next few Mishnahis discuss a certain type of onion called Aluf. Um... Rashi in Shabbos and elsewhere identifies luf as a type of bean. The Rav, though, learns that it's a type of onion. After being picked, it's buried in the ground to preserve it for use in the future. The Chachamim were geyser that since burying luf looks like an act of planting, which is also during Shviyas, one may not bury luf during Shemitah except under certain conditions. So at time luf if one buries luf during Shemitah, Remer, Remer says that he must meet the following conditions. He may not bury less than two saw, which is twelve kav of luf in a single hole. He must pile it up to a height of at least three tvachim in the hole. And he must put at least a tefach of dirt on top of it. Since luf bulbs are planted by scattering them around, piling many of them together in a tall heap shows that they are being stored and not planted. Furthermore, burying them under a tefach of dirt shows that they are being stored and not planted, because when something is planted, it is covered by just a thin layer of dirt. He may not bury less than four kav of luf in a single hole, as opposed to the twelve kav required by Rameir. He must pile it up to a height of at least one tefach. 
as opposed to the three tefachim required by Rameir, but tefach afro gavav. He must put at least a tefach of dirt on top of it as Rameir holds. With time to be makam drisas adam, and he must bury it in a place upon which people tread. The constant trampling of people on the ground above the loof prevents it from sprouting. Therefore, burying it in such a place shows that he did not intend to plant it. Mishnah Gimel. The roots of the loof plant remain viable for a long time, which allows its leaves to continue growing from one year to the next. The Mishnah deals with a loof plant that produced leaves on Shemitah, and they grew further into the eighth year. Thus, the eighth year, thus in the eighth year, the leaves are a mixture of seventh year growth, which has Ktusha Shviyas, and the eighth year growth, which does not. So, Luf Sha'avr Lev Shviyas, if Luf grew past Shemitah, produced leaves during Shemitah, and then continued growing in the eighth year, the halach is that if the poor picked all its leaves during Shemitah, they have indeed picked them, meaning all the leaves belong to them. Since they picked all the Shemitah growths themselves, the owner of the field does not give any to them. But if the poor didn't pick all its leaves during Shemitah, the owner must make an accounting with the poor, that is, he has to reckon what proportion of the remaining leaves grew during Shemitah and give that proportion to them, meaning because he has to be mafkirit, even though he wasn't mafkirit yet already. If the poor picked all its leaves during Shemitah, they have indeed picked them. All the leaves are theirs, but if they did not pick its leaves during Shemitah, the poor have no accounting with the owner. That is, the poor have a right only to what they actually picked during Shemitah, and not to anything that they did not pick. Thus, even though some portion of the leaves currently on the plant have Kedusha Shviyas, the owner does not have to give any of it to the poor. In order to understand the mission, it's necessary to know some of the halochas of beer that, that, that apply during Shemitah. A person may pick limited amounts of produce on Shemitah and keep them in his house for the use of himself and his family, as long as the type of produce can still be found in the fields for wild animals to eat. Once the species is no longer available outdoors to wild animals, he is forbidden to keep any of that species in his house. At this point, he must perform the process of beer in which he gives up his rights to the ownership of the produce and puts it outside his house for anyone to take. In the ninth parak. His machlek is tanam about who may take Shemitah produce after the beer. Rabbi Huda maintains that it may be taken only by the poor, while Rabbi Yaisi holds that it may be taken by anyone, even the owner himself. This is in contrast to the period before beer, when everyone agrees that Shemitah produce is available to everyone, rich and poor alike. So the Tanakam of our Mishnah, the first Tanakam of our Mishnah rather, Rabbi Lezer, agrees with Rabbi Huda's opinion that only the poor can take the produce after beer, whereas the original owner may not. Thus the leaves that grew on the loaf plant during Shemitah are not mochoyev and beer, but belong entirely to the poor and no one else. The owner is entitled only to what to that which grew in the eighth year. The owner must therefore calculate the proportion of the leaves currently on the plant that grew in Shemitah, as opposed to the proportion that grew in the eighth year, and give the Shemitah proportion to the poor while he keeps the rest. Rabbi Shua, the next Tana, agrees with Rabbi view that even the owner himself can take back the produce after beer. Accordingly, any leaves that the poor did not pick during Shemitah become the property of the owner, and he does not have to give any to them. The loaf plant being discussed here was uprooted by the owner during Shemitah before the Zman beer and brought it into his house. Then, when the beer deadline arrived, he removed it from his house and put it out for everyone to take, as he's mechuyiv to do. The loaf took root again when it was left outside and restarted growing leaves in the eighth year. So as explained before, Ebelezer holds that whatever grew during Shemitah, even that which the poor did not pick, became the property when the beer was done became their property when the beer was done, meaning the Aniyam, whereas Rabbi Shua maintains that the owner may take it for himself. Regarding vegetables, the question of whether they are Shemitah produce or not is determined by the year in which they are picked. In our case, since the plant was uprooted in Shemitah, 
is in these Shemitah produce, even though it was replanted and then uprooted again in the eighth year. Okay, Mishnah Dalad. Luf shall erev shviyah The Mishnah deals with the halacha of luf and similar plants that finished growing in the sixth year, but remained in the ground until the seventh. Generally, a vegetable is defined as belonging to the year in which it was picked. However, this rule applies only where it also grew a little bit that year. If it completely finished growing the year before, it did not grow at all the year it was picked, it has the status of the year in which it grew. In Amrish's case, therefore, the luf and other vegetables are not Shemitah produce, even though they were dug up during Shemitah because their entire growth took place in the sixth year. So, in order to obtain the root of the plant, which is edible, one must dig into the ground. The Chachamah were concerned that someone who digs up these plants during Shemitah would appear to be working on the land. Digging in the soil softens it, which makes it better for planting, which is also during Shemitah. They were guided, therefore, that one is forbidden to dig up luf and similar plants on Shemitah, except if you do it in an unusual way. So, luf shall erev shviyash and nichnas l'shviyash, regarding luf that completed its growth in the sixth year, but was still rooted in the ground when Shemitah began, as well as summer onions, I guess kitzayinim is a lotion of kayats. Um This is a type of onion that's planted in early summer and picked in the summer. pua shall idis, and matter that grew in fertile soil. The root of the matter were used to matter, M-A-D-D-E-R, were used to produce a red dye. The Mishnah specifies that it is growing in fertile soil in order to distinguish it from the pua that grows in rocky ground, in which case the law is different, as we're going to see. The Mishnah refers to summer onions and pua that grew completely in the sixth year and were dug up during Shemitah, like the loaf mentioned earlier. So, One may uproot them during Shemitah only with wooden spades. It's forbidden to use a metal spade that that's ordinary that's ordinarily used for this purpose because that would appear like working the land. To avoid giving this impression, one must depart from the ordinary method and use a wooden spade instead to use some sort of shinoi so it shouldn't look like he's working on the land. One may uproot these plants even with a a pickaxe. Art scroll actually touches matax. M-A-T-T-O-C-K-S. It's a kind of pickaxe. Um, a mattock has two blades, one that is broad and one that is pointed. The broad blade is used by woodcutters for chopping down trees, and the pointed blade is used for splitting wood into smaller pieces. Unlike Beishame, Beishil permit one to use a metal tool. Nevertheless, even Beishil requires a small change from the ordinary method, so they permit only a kardumashal matris and not a spade of a matris. A, an axe, not a spade. Um, the Mishnah refers specifically to plants that grew entirely in the sixth year. Had they continued to grow in the seventh year and become Shemitah produce, one would not be allowed to dig them up at all because digging up these plants in an unusual manner will damage them and is forbidden to damage Shemitah produce. Umoidim bepua shall tzelois, and Bishami agree in the case of pua that grows in rocky ground, tzela is generally like sloim, 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 it's, um, it's, it's rocky, choppy ground. It's not smooth ground. So, even Beishamai agree that one may uproot it even with a metal pickaxe. Since rocky ground is not usually planted, people are unlikely to think that the farmer is working the land. Therefore, all agree that is motor. even in this case, a metal spade is still going to be awesome. Even after the eighth year has begun, one may not buy produce from an Amaret. Since an Amaret is suspected of failing to 
to observe the Hilcha Shemitah properly, the produce he's selling might have been treated unlawfully during Shemitah. For example, the produce may have come from a field that had been guarded to prevent the public from entering. It's forbidden to buy Shemitah produce that was not made available to the public. The Isra remains in place until the eighth-year crop of the same type of produce has grown and is being sold in the market, at which point one can assume that the Amar is selling is not Shemitah produce but belongs to the eighth year. The Mishnah cites a Machlekes as to whether the Luf plant is an exception to this law. So, when is a person permitted to buy Luf in the year after Shemitah from an Amar? So, Rehuda says, Miyad. One may buy it immediately after Shemitah because it presumably grew in the year before Shemitah. The Yerushalmi explains that the Mishnah refers to Luf that was taken from a storage pile and was not newly uprooted. A person who buys such Luf at the beginning of the eighth year does not know whether it was uprooted in the seventh year, in which case it would have Shemitah sanctity or whether it was uprooted in the sixth year, in which case it would not have Kedusha Shviyas. Rabbi Huda argues that it was unlikely to have been uprooted during Shemitah because as told in the previous Mishnah, uprooting Luf during Shemitah must be done in an unusual manner, which makes the task more difficult. Even people who are over the Yisurim of Shviyas will not uproot Luf in the usual manner during Shemitah because they are afraid to violate Shemitah openly lest they be caught and be punished. We may assume, therefore, that the seller uprooted it because uprooted it before Shemitah when he was allowed to use the normal tools. If it was still attached to the ground when Shemitah began, he would not have gone to to the trouble of uprooting it during Shemitah in order to store it for eventual sale after Shemitah. Rather, he would have left it in the ground until after Shemitah when uprooting it is easier. However, it is also to buy luft during Shemitah itself. In that case, the buyer must be concerned that the seller uprooted it during Shemitah because a person would go, th- would go through the trouble of digging up luft with unusual tools if he intends to sell it. Um, immediately. If he did not intend to sell it until the eighth year, he would have delayed uprooting it until then, when the task would be easier. One may buy it only from the new, from the eighth year crop of Luf, when when the new crop is abundant. According to the Chachamim, Luf is treated the same as all other produce. As such, the buyer must worry that the Luf being offered for sale the Shemitah produce until the eighth year crop is available in the market. Mishnah Vav. Elu kelim she'enhu uman rasha lemachram b'shvias. The Torah says l'fnei ivel esite mirchel. Before a blind man, you shall not place a stumbling block. The Chacham explained that this is an iser against helping someone be over any avera. He's a blind man in the sense that he has been blinded by his urge to do an avera. For this reason, it's also to sell certain items during shemitah to an amaret, since he's suspected of not keeping the halchashvias. He may use them illegally against the Torah. These are the farming tools that a craftsman may not sell to an Amaurit during Shemitah. A plow and all its accessories, a yoke to harness an animal to a plow, a winnowing fork, and a hoe. After the process of threshing, in which the kernels of grain are removed from their husks, the act of winnowing is performed. A large winnowing fork is used to throw the mixture of kernels and shaft, which is the husk, stems, and leaves into the air. The wind blows away the lighter shaft, while the heavier kernels fall straight down. Winnowing is generally permitted during Shemitah, since one is allowed to reap produce on Shemitah, then process it, which includes the activities of threshing, winnowing, and the like. However, even these activities are motor only on a small scale. One may not process a large amount at one time. It is thus forbidden to sell a winnowing fork to an Amaris because this tool is used only for large amounts of grain. A decker is a hoe, which is a metal tool used for digging. Since these tools are used only for work that is also during Shemitah, the Amaretz will presumably use them for that purpose. Thus, selling them to him on Shemitah is forbidden because one thereby helps him do an Avera. One may, however, sell these items to someone whose 
who's Shemer Shemitah, because he presumably intends to use them during the eighth year. But one may sell a hand sickle, which is used for cutting a handful of stalks at a time, as we saw in Peya, or a magal katsir, a reaping sickle. This is an ordinary full-size sickle used to harvest produce. It can also be used to cut just a small amount. But agala, and a wagon and old accessories, even to an amaris, because we're allowed to assume that he'll use these objects for their permitted purposes. The buyer could use the sickles to reap a small amount of shemitah produce, and when and then bring the produce home in the wagon. These activities are permitted because a person is allowed to reap enough produce for the immediate needs of his family. It is forbidden only to harvest a large amount that will be stored for several days. Since these tools have a permitted use, one may sell them even to a person who cannot be trusted to observe the laws of Shvi's properly. Although it is forbidden to provide someone with an object he will use to commit a transgression, that issue is limited to objects with whose only use is against halacha. One may sell him an item that has a permitted use as well, besides for the Yisr, provided that there's a reasonable chance that he will use it for the Dover HaMutter and not just for the Dover HaOser. This is the rule. Any tool that's designated only for transgress, transgressing an Yisr is forbidden to be sold. But a tool that's designated for both something that's forbidden and something that's permitted is permitted to be sold because chances are that he'll use it for a Dover HaMutter also, not just for a Dover HaOser. Mishnah Zion. A potter may sell up to five empty oil jugs and fifteen empty wine jugs to an amar. That's the amount of wine or oil one would typically bring from ownerless bring home from ownerless property. The Chachamim estimated that when picking from ownerless property, a person would not take more than the amount of olives that produce five jugfuls of oil and the amount of grapes that produce fifteen jugfuls of wine. The only way for him to exceed those amounts would be to harvest produce from a field close to the public, which is Aser. Since anyone can take Shemitah produce from private fields, many people compete for the produce of each field. Therefore, no one person can obtain an excessive amount unless he commits the sin of taking from fields whose owners prevent the public from entering. Thus, in order to avoid helping someone sin, one may not sell more than five oil jugs and 15 wine jugs to someone who cannot be trusted with Hilchashvias. We are not concerned that he will use all 20 jugs for oil or all of them for wine, because oil jugs and wine jugs are made from different materials and are not interchangeable. But if the buyer brought home more than this, meaning more than the amount of produce that would fill five oil jugs and 15 wine jugs, it's mutter to sell him the amount of jugs that he needs after he had already collected large amounts of produce. You don't suspect him of having done so against halacha. The halacha is that before Amoritz goes out to take Shemitah produce, we're afraid that he might take some something from closed fields against halacha, and so one may not sell too many jugs to him. After he has already brought home large amounts of produce, however, we don't suspect him of having obtained this illegally, especially in a in view of his insistence that he didn't break the halacha. At this point, then, one may sell him as many drugs as he wants. One may sell more than five oil drugs and 15 wine drugs to Goyim and Eretz Yisrael, because we're not afraid that they'll resell them to a Am Haaretz. One may also sell more than this number of drugs to Jew out of the land, even if he's Am Haaretz, because we're not afraid that he'll bring them to Eretz Yisrael and use them there to store produce that was taken illegally against halacha. One may not sell him an Amoritz, a plowing cow, a cow trained to pull a plow on Shemitah because he'll definitely use it for plowing. 
they still ruled that selling such a cow is mutter because the buyer can slaughter it. Since it's possible that the buyer wants to slaughter the cow, the seller may assume that this is indeed the buyer's intent. As long as there's a reasonable possibility that the buyer will use this item for a permitted purpose, one's allowed to sell it to him. We still agree that the four tools mentioned in the beginning of Mishnah Vav may not be sold because they're used only for work that's also during Shemitah. Beishama, on the other hand, forbids selling the cow because they hold that no one would slaughter a cow that was specially trained to pull a plow. There's a Gemara Babakama, I think it's the beginning of the fifth parak, that it's very clear when somebody's buying a cow what the purpose what the purpose is. And there were different types of cows, so to speak. The ones that you would want to plow, you would want to make it stronger, more muscular to be able to work better. And the ones that you, you, want, you wanted it to, um, for Shkita, you would fatten it up in a different way. To make it better to eat, so it's it's not the same thing. It's almost like the difference between the kadayin and the kadayshemen that they're not like we explained from the rav that they're talking not the same thing. So you're not going to take twenty, just like you're not going to take twenty jugs. Person's not going to mix up the different types of uh, cows. That's at least according to Beishamai. Okay, Michael Leipers Afila Beshas Hazera. One may sell him produce even during the planting season because instead of planting the produce which is forbidden, he might eat it. Um, Beishamah agreed with this ruling because it's possible that the bar will eat the produce. This is unlike the case of the cow trains for plowing, which people will certainly not shecht and eat. And one may lend him one saw measure, even though one knows that he has a threshing floor because instead of using it to measure his meat to produce for storage, which is usher, he might use it to measure produce for grinding, which is mutter. Generally, one who measures produce on the threshing floor plants to store it, while one who measures produce in his house intends to eat it. The Mishnah teaches that although the buyer has a threshing floor, he will not necessarily use the measuring cup for the purpose of knowing how much produce he is storing, which is forbidden, because Shemitah produce must be used and not stored. Instead, he might use the cup in order to know how much he is grinding. One may change Ma'oiz into Prutas, coins of greater value, for coins of lesser value means to change them up for him, even though one knows that he has workers who did work in his land on Shemitah, which is Aser, because instead of using the money to pay them, he may use the money for a permitted purpose. He'll go to the store and buy himself potato chips. But all of these transactions are forbidden if the buyer states explicitly that he wants them for the prohibited activity. So really, this whole Shemuz is all about Lufne Iver. So it, it's very... I mean, because it's an Isra that's difficult for people to follow, because it's something that they're so accustomed to, and then now in the seventh year they have to stop. So that's why we have all these halachas that, you know, how much it goes into Lufna Ibrah. It's interesting because even Hulcha Shabbos, you know, the Shulchan Aruch starts off discussing Hulcha Shabbos, all kinds of things that would be also for the, you know, to do before Shabbos, like the Gemara also discusses, but there's a big discussion of, of all the different halachas of what's mutter and what's not. Of you know what somebody might do over Shabbos from before Shabbos going into Shabbos if he's not used to it. Fine. Mishnah test. Mashalas isha lechaverta hachshuda alashvias. The previous Mishnah has discussed the selling and lending animals on farming tools to those whose shmita observance is suspect. This Mishnah discusses lending them household utensils. A woman may lend these utensils to her friend who is suspected of violating hilchish shmita. She is suspected of keeping Shemitah produce after the beer deadline without performing beer. Produce that did not undergo beer is also to be eaten. So, Nava, Ukvara, Verechaim, Vitanor. A sifter which separates fine flour from coarse flour. A sieve which separates shaft from grain. I always say that the uh, way to remember is a Nafa with a Fe is a sifter with an F, and Kvara is with a Vez, is with a sieve 
which separates Shafer and grain, two different things. One's obviously finer than the other, and Afa is finer again with the fate, and more coarse is uh, Kvara, is more coarse. Um, Rechaim is a mill which grinds grain into flour, Vitanor and an oven that's permitted, even though her friend will probably use these utensils to prepare for Shmita produce, since there's a chance that she will use them for something that's mutter, one is allowed to lend them to her. The sifter could be used to count money, the sieve could be used to sift sand for use in cement, the mill to grind spices, and the oven to dry up bundles of flax. However, we don't consider the possibility the possibility that she will use the utensils to prepare permitted food, because the mission refers to the case where it's known that this woman does not have any food besides Rashmita produce. To be sure, it is far-fetched to assume that the borrower will use the utensils for these permissible purposes. However, since there is a small chance that she will do so, one is allowed to lend them to her. As the mission will explain below, the reason for this special leniency is to promote peace between the neighbors, as uh, as the Gemara discusses in getting in a very similar case, and we mentioned this in the Mishnah Dubai, a very similar case also. However, she may not sort or grind her French meat produce together with her because she thereby directly assists in preparing the forbidden produce. Actually, it's generally permitted to prepare forbidden Shemitah produce, only eating it's prohibited. Um, meaning it's normally mutter to prepare um, things that are also to eat during Shemitah, only eating it's also. Nevertheless, if someone's preparing such produce in order for it to be eaten and another person helps her, the second one would be guilty of assisting in the performance of this Isser of Shviyas. The wife of a Chavar is someone who carefully observes the laws of Tumah and Maishus, may lend to the wife of an Amorat, someone who does not observe these laws so carefully, Nafa Ukvara, a sifter and a sieve. Lending her a mill or an oven is also permitted. She may even sort, grind, and serve to produce together with her. This is permitted, even though an Amorat's wife may not take off Maishu from the food before it is eaten, and thus they are possibly preparing forbidden food. The Torah prohibits one to eat produce from which the required portions of Trumas and Maishus have not yet been removed. That would be considered tevel. Most Ameyars do in fact take Maishus to produce. Thus, according to, according to the Torah, the food is mutter. The Chacham, however, decreed that one may not eat the produce or food of an Ameyars before taking off Maishus oneself. This is the Isra of Demai. Since the food is forbidden only with Rabbanon, the Rabbanon ruled more leniently here than in the Mishnah's previous case of assisting an Amarts that prepare Shemitah produce. Although they prohibited helping an Amarts sift and grind Shemitah produce, they, they allowed helping him or her sift and grind ordinary produce. Avul Mishnah Hamayim Lysiga Etzlo. However, once the Amarts' wife added water to the flour, one may not help her need it. Um... Lysiga etza literally means to touch with her, um, but the reason we're going to explain in the Mishnah, because one may not assist those who are, who are doing an Avera. When water is mixed into flour, the resulting dough is mechuiv and chalo. Chalo is a portion that must be separated from the dough and given to a kayin. Once the dough is formed, no part of it may be eaten until chalo has been removed. At this point, it's forbidden to make the dough tameh. As long as the dough still contains chala, the dough itself is regarded like chala in many respects. Therefore, just as one is forbidden to make chala tame, so too is one forbidden to make such a dough tame. In our case, since the Amaretz's wife and her kalim are presumed to be tame, she will commit the sin of making the dough tame as she needs it. The chavar's wife is thus forbidden to help her knead the dough, because this is actively assisting her in the transgression of being metame the thing, the dough. The Mishnah has permitted three things. Number one, lending utensils to a woman who will probably use them to prepare forbidden shmita produce. 
Number two, lending utensils to an Amma or at his wife will probably use them to prepare food that may be eaten um, without miser being taken off. And number three, helping an Amma or at his wife sort, grind, and sift food that may be eaten before miser was taken off. According to the basic halachas, even these acts should be also because of the Isra against helping someone do an Avera, Misayel Adei Avera Avera. So the mission explains why it's mutter. The Chacham said that all these acts are mutter only for the sake of peace. That is to limit discrimination against people suspected of being over the Hilchashmita or the Halachas of Toma and Maisus. Nevertheless, even for the sake of peaceful relations, the Chacham were matter only indirect assistance, like lending a sift to receive. They did not allow direct assistance, such as helping to grind or sift to Shemitah produce of an Amarat and helping to knead the dough of an Amarat. Furthermore, they are permitted. Lending utensils only if it's possible, though unlikely that the per- that the buyer will use them for permitted purposes. Lending utensil that is no forbidden, no permitted use is going to be usher. We may give words of encouragement to goyim who are working at their own land in Eretz during Shemitah. We mentioned this already in Parak Dalad Mishnah Gimel. They're repeated here in connection with the previous statement, which was also made for Mipnei Darkei Sholem. For example. One may say to the guy, be successful or be strong. Since Goyim are not mechuyiv to keep el we may encourage them while they work on their fields, though we may not help them. Avalei de Yisrael, we may not encourage a Yid who is doing so. On the contrary, we're mechuyiv to give him Musar and to give him Teichacha, or to point out to him that he's not following Halacha. Obviously, do it in a way that he's going to listen, which is a whole Maisa, how to be mechanics of Teichacha properly. Rishayel and Bishleiman. We may greet Goyim by saying Shalom, which is one of the Shemus of Hashem, even on their holidays in Pnei Darke Shalom. These acts are permitted for the sake of peace to promote peace between Yidin and Goyim. If not for the, if not for Darke Shalom, it would be also to encourage a Goyim to do work that a Yid is forbidden to do. Likewise, it would be also to greet a Goyim with the word Shalom, which is the name of Hashem on his holiday, because he might then commit the sin of thanking his Avedazara for having received this honor. However, the Chacham allowed these practices. We must always strive for Shalom between Yidin and Goyim, because we follow the ways of Hashem, like it says in Tehillim, the Tev Hashem Lakov Rachmov and also says the Rechad Achinam Chalnesi Vesera Shalom. For this reason, we also support non-Jews who are poor, visit non-Jews who are sick, and bury non-Jews who are in need of burial because of Mipnei Darke Ha Shalom.